0: Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the Arizona Department of Education is concerned that our babies might be racist. So what can we do about our racist babies? We'll talk about that today. Also, five headlines, including the creepiest COVID PSA you'll ever see. Uh, Plus, Joe Biden lashing out at people who are fed up with masks and lockdowns. And Andrew Cuomo addresses the sexual harassment scandal while mostly ignoring the real scandal. And in our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the host of The Bachelor, who continues to debase himself in increasingly embarrassing ways in the hopes of earning forgiveness from the cancel mob. But that never works. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. For the latest now in racialized brainwashing, we turn to Arizona, where the Arizona Department of Education has developed an equity toolkit, which contains lots of surprising information, but nothing more surprising than this. According to The Arizona Department of Ed, babies are racist. Journalist Chris Ruffo has the material, which begins with a chart detailing uh, the course of a young child's life from birth to about six years old. And at the top, it tells us uh, that, quote, they're not too young to talk about race. Continuing, it says young children notice and think about race. Adults often worry that talking about race will encourage racial bias in children. But the opposite is true silence about race reinforces racism by letting children draw their own conclusions based on what they see. Now, wait, let's stop right there for a moment because, uh, so you're saying we're not supposed to let children draw their own conclusions. Really? But aren't these the same people who tell us that we have to respect the child's self-determined gender identity at the age of three? So we should let a three-year-old, a three-year-old boy, we should let him draw his own conclusions about whether or not he's actually a boy but he can't draw his own conclusions about race. Okay, got it, all right. Back to the fact sheet, it says, uh, well, not a fact sheet, but it it is a sheet anyway. And it goes on, it says, teachers and families can play a powerful role in helping children of all ages develop positive attitudes about race and diversity, and skills to promote a more just future, but only if we talk about it first. And from there, we follow the child over the course of his young racist life. First, we're told, uh, quote, at birth, Babies look equally at faces of all races. At three months, babies look more at faces that match the race of their caregivers. My God, those shameless bigots. See, I always suspected this. You know, when when my youngest was a newborn uh, and she would cry for mommy, and I would always say to her, you only want mommy because she's white. I know your game. I'm on to you. See, it's very important to call out the Nazi babies when you see them, even if it's your own child. And I know it could be a difficult thing. It can be a difficult thing to look at your three-month-old and realize that she is a Nazi, but this is something that you have to do as a parent. Anyway, then it says, children as young as two years old um, use race to reason about people's behaviors. Then, by 30 months, most children use race to choose playmates. Side note, my primary problem here is that they said 30 months. Like, I can't stand it when people identify their kids' ages by months because it forces me to do math, which I don't want to have to do. So when someone says like, yes, my child is uh, 87 and a half months old. Continuing, it says expressions of racial prejudice often peak at ages four and five. So this is like when, a, when someone is the most racist, is, is, is at four. And then uh, it says by five, black and Latinx children in research settings show no preference towards their own groups compared to white. White children at this age remain strongly biased in favor of whiteness. Well, yeah, that I just flat out don't believe. Um, it's certainly exactly the result that the researchers hope to find, and that's why I don't believe it. Clearly bogus, but we'll keep going. Uh, it says, by, by kindergarten, children show many of the same racial attitudes that adults in our culture hold. They have already learned to associate some groups with higher status than others. And finally, explicit conversations with five to seven-year-olds about interracial friendships can dramatically improve their racial attitudes in as little as a single week. Okay. Let's break this down. There are three problems here. Well, there's a lot more than three, but we only have a few minutes for this segment, so let's focus on three. First, contrary to what has become popular belief, at least popular belief among people who work for the school system, it is not actually the school system's job to combat racism or to make children more racially and morally enlightened or anything like that. Its job is to educate children in the subjects that parents send their children to school for, math, history, science, et cetera, ABCs and one, two, threes. That's basically it. Now, you might argue that it's not really possible in practice to separate factual and moral education. You might say that all education will inherently have the goal of making children into better people. That is better according to the standards and values of the educator. So I'm sympathetic to that view. In fact, I agree with it. that's just another reason to get your kids the hell out of the public school system, as I'm always urging everybody. Moral formation is always a part of education. Uh, We may say that in the case of the public school system, it shouldn't be. That's not the system's job. It's not what you send your children there for, and that's all true. But the two will not be separated and never have been separated. So if you don't want your child to be morally formed or malformed by the system... You have to extract your child from that system. Second point on the issue of racist babies. Is it true that children show a preference for their own race? Yeah, probably to some extent. Sure. It's probably true true that even very young children do. Three months old, they're told. we're, We're told. Now, there really isn't any way to know what a three month old is thinking. We have no idea about the inner life of a three month old. We were all three months old at one time. Some of us act like we still are, but none of us can remember what that's like. So it's a strange thing that something we all experienced is so mysterious to us, but that's, that's what it means to be human. That's part of the human condition. Yet to the extent that we can develop some ideas about how babies think and what they think, it's probably true that they have, quote, racial preferences. Why? Well, because they're gonna gravitate towards people who look like their own families. It's that simple. A baby, when she first starts saying mama and dada, she's likely to say it to every woman who looks vaguely like her mama and every man who looks vaguely like her dada. She's drawing connections and correlations. She's noticing similarities, noticing patterns. She doesn't understand them. She doesn't assign moral value to anything, but she notices them. This is normal. This is fine. This is healthy. There's no problem here. It's not racism. I can't believe I have to explain this, but it's not racism. You know, I, I shouldn't need to explain that your three-month-old uh, is, is, has a preference for mommy and women who look like mommy and that it's not because she's racist. Like I shouldn't have to explain that, but apparently I do. See, racism is the belief that certain races are inferior. Racism is, for example, how BLM activists treat white people. That's racism. If you treat another race with animosity, hatred, vengeance, that's racism. Little kids don't have any of that. They just might feel most comfortable, feel safest around people who look the most like mama and dada. Not only is that not racist, but it's actually good. It's good that a child has a special connection with his tribe and his tribe for him is his family. This is biologically ingrained. It's, it's supposed to be that way. It should be that way. When a child gets scared or nervous around a stranger, she runs and hugs daddy's leg, hides behind him. She wants to be closer to the person she knows, which she feels safe around. There's no reason to actively deprogram this instinct. Children will kind of grow out of it naturally, um, and and that's fine too. But of course, the left can never let a child just grow naturally anymore. They cannot let that happen. And that brings us to the third point. We're told to talk with our children about race. And if we don't talk about race, then they'll be racist. That's the claim. But I think the opposite is the case. In fact, I prefer the advice given by Morgan Freeman years ago. I don't know if you, maybe you've heard this, is a famous clip, but if you haven't, um, and I don't know if he would still say this now in our uber-woke era, but 15 or 20 years ago, when asked about this subject, here's what he said. Black History Month, you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come on. What do you do with yours? Which month is white history month?
1: (laughs) Well, well, come on. Tell me. Well, I'm Jewish.
0: Okay. Which month is Jewish history month? Uh, There isn't one. Oh. Oh. Why not? Do you want one? No, no. No. I,
1: I, I don't either. I don't want a black history month.
0: Black history is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. I know you as Mike Wallace. You know me as Morgan Freeman. Okay. Stop talking about it. There's more wisdom in that 55-second clip of a Hollywood actor than in all of the critical race theory toolkits and seminars that have ever been devised. I can say anecdotally, this was my experience as a child. I noticed when someone was a different race, um, if somebody looked different, I noticed that, obviously. I wondered about it. I may have have asked questions like, why do they look different? The kinds of questions that all kids have. The questions that my kids have had. Totally normal. But it never occurred to me as a child to make a big thing out of it. I didn't draw any sweeping conclusions based on the fact that somebody looked different. As a kid, you play with whoever else happens to be on the playground. What does their race matter? That's the great thing about kids. I mean, mine will make a new best friend with anyone. Some random child they meet in the food court at the zoo, whoever. As children learn to branch out a little bit and talk to and befriend people outside of their family units, they embark on that quest without baggage. They don't have all this baggage. They just go out there and kids are kids and and all of that. The baggage is added later by garbage like this, by critical race theorists and other assorted race hustlers. See, kids don't naturally see race as a big deal. They see race. Of course, everybody does. They don't see it as a big deal. You have to make it a big deal. That's why the left has to work so hard to convince them to see it as a big deal. That's why they walk up and they say, oh, I see uh, you two, a black and a white child are getting along. Well, uh, let me tell you about the legacy of slavery and the evils of systemic racism. And then they walk away satisfied that they have just created racial animosity and suspicion where it hadn't previously existed. They say the goal is to defeat racism, but it's exactly the opposite. They are brainwashing kids into racism. They are introducing it, inculcating it, planting the seeds and watching it grow. And we all have to reap what they have sowed. Let's get now to our five headlines. Before we get to five headlines, I wanna tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called The True Underdog Podcast. You know, raised in a trailer park with no clear path to success, kicked out of high school multiple times, faced with becoming a father in his teens, Jason Waller is the definition of a true underdog. That's what we love in this country, right? We love underdog stories. After hearing the words no or you can't too many times, he unleashed the power within to start three successful companies with his most recent venture, Power Home Solar, skyrocketing on a path to becoming a billion dollar enterprise. So you could join the True Underdog podcast as Waller, a four time entrepreneur of the year, uh, shares motivational tips, inspiring stories, business building lessons from the ground up. He shares his life experiences and that of his high-profile guests to help others better themselves, you know, the mistakes that they've had, the triumphs, all of that you're going to learn about. As Waller will tell you, there is no elevator to success, the climb can only happen one step at a time. Let every True Underdog podcast be that step that elevates you. Scared money won't make money. That's why you have to learn from the True Underdog podcast. Learn about failure, learn about entrepreneurship. Learn about never quitting or making excuses. It's real, it's raw, it's motivational. So check True Underdog Podcast at trueunderdog.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. I just saw this. This is, um, this is news about Pope Francis. Uh, he apparently has a, a book, or he just released a book. This is the report anyway. Reportedly, he, he released a book in which he says, he warns that there might be a second great flood uh, because of climate change, you know, and it does kind of remind me of Genesis nine eleven. We all remember that verse. It says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Unless you start driving SUVs, in which case the deal is off, folks. Um, so that's right there in the Bible. And, you know, so Pope Francis yet again staying true to Scripture. Uh, and that's why we all love Pope Francis so much. All right, let's go to number one here. Joe Biden. Um, has some words for people who don't want to stay locked down and in masks anymore. How dare you? If after a year, you're a little fed up and you want to live a normal life, how dare you? Uh, this is what Joe Biden thinks of you. Do you do the
1: Message to Texas do and Mississippi. Right, guys. Texas and Mississippi. Thanks, guys. Are I think it's a big mistake. Right, Look, I hope everybody's realized by now, these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we're able to get vaccines in people's arms. We've been able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that, in the meantime, everything's fine, take off your mask, forget it. It still matters. I carry a card to me. I don't have it. I put it on my desk. As of last — as of yesterday, we have lost 511,874 Americans. We're going to lose thousands more. This will not occur. We'll not have everybody vaccinated until sometime in the summer. We have the vaccine to do it. We're getting a shot in someone's arm and getting a second shot, you're going to take time. And it's critical, 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 critical that they follow the science. Wash your hands, hot water, do it frequently. Wear a mask and stay socially distanced. And uh, I know you all know that. I wish the heck some of our elected officials knew it.
0: Follow Neanderthal thinking, follow the science. So what's, what's the science? What, what science tells us that Joe Biden, who's wearing a mask in that clip, you know, we can't even understand what he's saying. It's already it's already difficult enough to understand what this guy is saying, and now he's, he's muzzled himself. I can't even hear him. Um, so, what's the science that that uh, supports him wearing a mask? He's fully inoculated. He gets tested every day. So he's tested. He's fully vaccinated. Why is he wearing it? What's 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 the reason for him to wear one? What's the scientific reason for him to wear one? And he's socially—he's di- fully vaccinated, tested, and socially distanced from everybody else in the room, and he's still wearing a mask. Now, there's no science behind that. That's performance. It's performative. It's for show. I mean, it—it it is. It, it simply is. There's there's no denying that. Now you we, we can argue about masks in general and everything, but in Joe Biden's case and in the case of a lot of these other elected officials, they're vaccinated, they're tested. They know they don't have it, and uh, yet they're wearing a mask anyway. Definitely performance. Is that what you want from your elected officials? Turning this into a performance, which it has been for so long? Um, Speaking of performance, number two here, the, the LA Unified School District put out a PSA that is Straight out of some kind of dystopian nightmare, um, and we'll we'll watch a, a little bit of this. But this is a lot of times when I when I see this kind of thing, I think like, imagine if it was uh, a year ago or a year and a half ago, and you could look into a crystal ball to see right now. Just get a quick snapshot of right now with no context. So many things that you you see, you would, you would be totally perplexed by. And you would think, do we really... Yeah, you'd think, okay, I knew we were headed toward toward a dystopian future, but did it really happen that quickly? Well, this is one of those things. If you saw that without context, even seeing it now, it's, it's very disturbing and creepy, but uh, here it is.
2: There's never been anything like this virus in our lifetime. Often, it's hard to see the effects it's having on our children. Has this conversation taken place in your home?
0: Mom, I'm scared about going back to school.
3: I don't want to get sick. And I don't want to get you and dad sick.
2: Our scientists tell us there are three things we must do to stay safe. Wear masks, make sure we social distance, and wash our hands. And now, your school, with the help of Microsoft Corporation, has created another. Introducing Daily Pass, your exclusive ticket for safely going back to school. Each week, you can schedule your free on-campus COVID test. The results are displayed in your daily pass. And if you choose to take your test off campus, you can post the results in your daily pass. And the moment vaccinations are available, you'll simply be able to schedule yours through your daily pass. But the real magic is your daily health check. Just answer a few simple health questions every day, and like magic, your entrance ticket appears.
1: Welcome back.
0: Okay. All right. So there, there, there you see it. Uh, the, the the animation, the happy music uh, with our with friends, with help from our friends at Microsoft. All of that is supposed to make it not as creepy, but it makes it all the more creepy. Makes it so much creepier. Or you get a, your kids' smartphone app. Daily uh, pass, answer some, you know, keeping track of vaccinations and everything. Answer health questions, and then and then you get you get entered into school. I, I think this should be obvious by now. This stuff is not going away. It is not going away. This is permanent. Um, in many parts of the country, this will be permanent. In California, in Los Angeles, that's permanent. That's not going away. Daily health pass, I guarantee you, 10 years from now, they're still going to have, it's going to be worse, it's going to be more intrusive, but they're still going to have a daily health pass. Um, this is, this, from the perspective of our overlords, this is a great innovation. Gives them more access to your kids, more information about your kids, more, a better way to keep keep tabs on them. Um, tells Tells them more about your kids. Perfect. That's exactly what the system wants, the, the public school system. That's not going away. That's staying with us. All right, number three, Andrew Cuomo um, embroiled in his uh, scandal. Now, when I say embroiled in the scandal, there. remember, again, as we've been talking about, there are two scandals here. Uh, one scandal that that where he is responsible for the deaths of thousands of, of, of people in nursing homes. And another scandal where he made inappropriate comments to women at the work in the workplace. And all of the if if when you're looking at the media, all the headlines, all the condemnation from the media, from politicians, fellow Democrats, I mean, they're all lining up to condemn Cuomo. But every time you hear any of those people, media politicians referring to Andrew Cuomo's scandal, they will always be referring to the inappropriate comments, not the fact that he killed all those people. And when he was finally forced to give a press conference and address and give the tearful apology, it was, again, for the inappropriate comments and not the fact that all those people are dead because of decisions that he made. So here is Andrew Cuomo on the much, much less serious scandal. Here's what he has to say.
3: I fully support a woman's right to come forward, and I think it should be encouraged in every way. I now understand that I acted in a way that made people feel uncomfortable. It was unintentional, and I truly and deeply apologize for it. I feel awful about it, and frankly, I am embarrassed by it. And that's not easy to say, but that's the truth. But this is what I want you to know. And I want you to know this from me directly. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never touched anyone inappropriately.
0: Well, he's embarrassed. Uh, It's hard for him to talk about. Very difficult for him, poor Andrew Cuomo. But he supports a woman's right to come forward. There's that shift to the goalpost from believe all women to I support a woman's right to come forward. Of course you do. Everybody is, does anyone not support a woman's right to, to come forward? Is there has has is that a point of view that anyone has expressed at all? Does that exist? Is there an anti-coming-forward position anywhere? That's Is anyone saying, no, you know what? I don't think women have the right at all. I don't think they have the right to come forward if they feel that something inappropriate is happening. They don't have the right. That's, that's my opinion. Is anyone saying that? No. Yes, of course you support that right. Of course, these guys in this situation, they always have to pretend um, that they're grateful that, that women have come forward against them. I'm I'm grateful that they've come out and said all these things. If if what if you are saying that their claims are either untrue or that they have wildly misinterpreted your actions, um, then why would you be grateful they're saying it? I think it should be encouraged. I think women should be encouraged to come out and defame me. I think they should do it more often. I couldn't be happier. I could not be happier to be slandered and defamed in this way. I, I think it's just wonderful. I encourage more women to do it. In fact, so he's trying to strike a balancing act there. That's impossible to strike. But um, again, it goes back to this really doesn't matter compared to um, the real scandal. this is like, and I, 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 you know, when I've when I've talked about this, I've heard from a lot of people that have said, well, they're both bad. You know, the sexual harassment killing lots of elderly people with with the uh, the the nursing home policy both bad we should condemn them both you know but that is there is such a wide gap between these two offenses that it is like saying um yeah you know Ted Bundy was a was a uh or you know John Wayne Gacy was a was a serial killer but he also stole a guy's parking lot at Walmart and, and both of those things are bad. Both of those are bad, and they should both. we should condemn them both. We need to have a conversation about both of those things, because they're both bad. Yeah, they are both bad. But there's really not—to t- put them in the same sentence, to put them in the same category, to lump them all together under the same umbrella um, is absurd and insane. So the fact that this is what's going to take him down, or you know, at least even if it doesn't take him down, that this is the thing we're talking about is ridiculous. But it's a, we know for, for the Democrats, it's a pretty clever um, strategy. It's an obvious strategy where they've got this very serious scandal involving thousands of, of, of people lost their lives. Um, And it's due to a policy that was not just in New York. This implicates other Democrat governors, too. And so from the Democrat Party perspective, we cannot talk about that. These are policies they supported that were adopted by several Democrat governors, prominent ones, too. Um, Can't talk about that. So let's give the public another scandal instead. Let's give him a scandal that doesn't matter, that Cuomo can easily survive. And even if he doesn't, at least he's not going to take every de- everyone down with him. Uh, and so we'll go with the sexual harassment thing again instead. Yeah, I, I, that, that is clearly the strategy. It's a brilliant strategy it, in, in an evil way, but it's, it's quite brilliant. And it's working. Even many conservatives, from what I've noticed, have changed. They have uh, gone along with this change of subject. And now when, they, when, when they're condemning Andrew Cuomo, it's about the sexual harassment stuff and not the, the dead people. All right, number four, the New York Post has this. Um, a, uh, it says, a black Florida school, school resource officer was fired after he was caught on his body camera using the N-word multiple times. Delvin White, an officer at Middleton High School, was dismissed Tuesday for violations of policy that prohibit discriminator, discriminatory conduct. The officer used the racial slur while on the phone and driving home from an off-duty assignment on November 13th. He repeated it again while on the phone with his wife. Footage also captured White saying the N-word twice while arresting someone for trespassing. On November 30th, White told his supervisors that he didn't intend for the word to be derogatory during the arrest. Um, instead, he claimed he was using it as, quote, uh, commonly used in today's society as a means of shared cultural and culture and experiences among the African-American community but he lost his job anyway for saying it. Now, this is one of those difficult things um, for opponents of cancel culture and all of this. It's like, talk about difficult balancing acts. Because on on one hand, it's completely ridiculous that this man lost his job for that. Totally absurd. Obviously, he doesn't deserve to lose his job for that. On the other hand, uh, we know that if he was a white police officer saying the same things. He would absolutely lose his job and there would be no stopping that from happening. So this is a case where it's a, it's a ridiculous standard, but it's being applied equally in this case. And I, I am a fan, so I'm not a fan of cancel culture. I'm not a fan of people getting fired for dumb reasons. I am a fan of consistency. And equal standards, so that's that's I, I you know th- that's 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 the tough thing you don't you don't exactly know how to how to how to balance it but uh, that's an interesting case. Number five, finally, a report from a local journalist in uh, North Carolina, Joe Bruno, who says if you smoke or have previously smoked at least 100 cigarettes, you'll qualify for a COVID-19 vaccine in North Carolina starting on March 24th. If you smoked 100 cigarettes, you get to you get to to move up in line for the vaccine. So we're going to reward not only not only are we rewarding you for unhealthy destructive behavior, but it's it is a an incentive. Like basically, if you have, if you've smoked no cigarettes in your life, you have between now and March 24th to smoke 100. That's what is that? That's uh, how many cigarettes in a pack? 20. That's five packs. Can you do five packs in about a month? Probably could. Or go out and, if you were thinking about becoming a smoker, now's the time. See if you can squeeze 100 in. What a, what a ridiculous policy. Not to mention, now I, I know the, the justification for it will be that smokers are a high risk category. And so we want to get them vaccinated. But 100 cigarettes in your whole life? I've probably smoked 100 cigarettes in my life and I'm not a smoker at all just casually, you know, through the years, maybe not 100, but I've gotten up there. So even if you've smoked, a, if you've smoked 100 cigarettes in your life, that doesn't actually make you a high-risk category. It doesn't make you a smoker at all, in fact. So shouldn't it be something like if you smoke a pack a day or if you've smoked a pack a day for the last however many years, now you're a high-risk risk category? Or how about we just don't do this at all? If you have lung disease... Smoker or not, you're a high risk category, category. You move up in line. Maybe that should be the policy. But I think that probably simply makes too much sense. And so we can't do that. Well, let's move on now to reading the uh, YouTube comments. This is from Ethan Holiday. says, Matt Walsh, John Cena and Keanu Reeves would make a great three dads together. I to tell you, Ethan, I do not know how to take that. Thanks, I guess. I'm not sure. Um, Joseph Pinnell says, I understand your frustration, Matt. And I really enjoy how you discuss your topics. It'd be really cool to hear you talk more about major issues outside of our country and China as well. You're very informative and to the point. I feel you'd be the best source of information. Uh, I'm, I'm not the best source of information for, for foreign policy issues outside of the country. Uh, that's, that's not where my focus is. I don't think I'm, I'm probably not the best source of information for anything, but uh, certainly not for those issues. So I would, uh, Go elsewhere for that. Yo Monk says, "Hey Matt, do you, pr- do you uh, pronounce people's names wrong on purpose? Example: Kamala Harris, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Jen Psaki. Pronounce their names wrong? I don't know what you're talking about." Ali Boo says, "I am keeping two-meter distances. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I hate people crowding my space and touching my body. Of course, I'm looking forward to crowded places, i.e., gigs, etc." And you can be crowded by choice, but generally speaking, back off. This is a thing. I mean, I even said at the very beginning of the the pandemic, this was the common joke among antisocial people where we all said, oh, we'll do great in the lockdowns because we're antisocial. Anyway, we don't want to be around anybody anyway, so who cares? Uh, So I I, I sort of understand your feeling. But even I, as a thoroughly antisocial person, um, I am. I am. Very much looking forward to a a normal existence where there are people around. That's why I talk about the masks. Um, One thing that I didn't expect early on to be so unsettled by is, is simply going out in public and never seeing anybody else's face. I didn't think that that was something I really appreciated before. I never really thought of it as if I'm going to Walmart that it's so great to see a stranger's face. I never thought of it that way. But you go a year and you never do, and, and you realize this is a a this is a one basic facet of human existence that's been taken away, and it, it does matter. It's a, it seems like a small thing, but it actually matters. And it matters even more to our kids, who never see anybody's face outside of the house. And finally, Tea Leaf says, Matt, is it possible to have a girlfriend that doesn't agree with your politics? Uh, I would say no. I mean, there are people who have done it. But if you're if you're going into this thing, like if you're already in, especially if you're married to someone and you find that you're differing on on political issues, well, you're you're in it now, and now you gotta you gotta find a way to work through it. You'll probably find a way. But if 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 you're early on, or if you're still looking for someone, there's no reason to embrace that difficulty. Because yeah, you might be able to make it work. You probably won't. It's it's not worth the trouble. Now, that doesn't mean you have to agree on every last single thing, but if you disagree fundamentally on basic, not even political, but I would say more than political, because you could you could agree ideologically on a lot of things but have political differences. But if you disagree ideologically on a fundamental level, you have different value systems, different priorities, different basic beliefs. Is it possible to make that work? Yes. Is it worth the trouble? To go into a relationship knowing that you're going to have that humongous hurdle to uh, to navigate, no, it's not. I would say. Now, a quick word from our friends over at LifeLock: If you use a free VPN or virtual private network for increased privacy when online, you may want to reconsider because free VPNs have been known to harvest data and may expose your personal information. This can make you vulnerable to identity theft. It's one of the many things that uh, that that you know. One of the things, many, many things, you have to worry about online. Uh, in terms of your data being exposed, it's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. In an instant, a cyber criminal could take what's yours your hard earned money, your credit, your reputation. Uh, good thing there's Lifelock. Lifelock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, so many different things. And I said it's, well, you have to worry about all these things, but well, you don't have to worry about them if you have Lifelock because they are going to. Um, surveil everything stuff like your social security social security number being for sale on the dark web things that you might not be able to see for yourself if they detect your information has potentially been compromised they're going to send you an alert um you have access to a dedicated restoration specialist if you become a victim so you've got defense on the one end and then help on the other end too gives you all the coverage that you need nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses but you can keep what's yours with lifelock identity theft protection join now and save up to 25 percent off your first year by going to lifelock.com Walsh. That's lifelock.com Walsh to save 25% off. And, you know, we've been telling you about Ben Shapiro's new show, uh, called Debunked. And it's an important show because there are so many crazy leftist theories and outright lies out there. And that's exactly what Ben Shapiro, uh, is dealing with and debunking in his new daily, wire, new daily wire series, which appropriately is called Debunked. Every Friday, Ben exposes popular fallacies purported by left wing activists and politicians with Short mini documentaries that entertain and keep you informed. So the last episode was about minimum wage, debunking minimum wage. If you haven't seen that yet, definitely worth checking out. Um, And his next episode, he's going to be breaking down unions. And that's another thing that you don't want to miss. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code debunked to get 25% off your new membership. And you can watch this Friday's episode. You can watch the last episode and all episodes of debunked. You don't want to miss any of them. Go sign up now. Code debunked for 25% off. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we're going to cancel um, the host of The Bachelor, or rather former host of The Bachelor, Chris Harrison. It may seem a bit redundant to cancel him after he's already been thoroughly canceled by the woke mob. I mean, why kick a man when he's down, you might say. Well, because even when you're down, especially when you're down, you should comport yourself with a little courage and dignity. If you can't do that, you deserve to be doubly canceled. So backing up here for a moment to review. Now, we followed this story on this show, not because we care about The Bachelor. In fact, the existence of a show like The Bachelor is one of the many reasons why I'll be on the first ship to Elon Musk's Mars colony in the near future. But the reason this story matters is that it so perfectly captures everything that is wrong and insane about cancel culture. If you recall, one of the contestants on the show, Rachel Kirk Connell, became the target of the cancel mob after someone dug through her past and discovered that she'd attended an Old South... Uh, uh, party 3 years ago an old south themed uh, a um, antebellum themed party 3 years ago this generated way more controversy than it should have generated because it should have generated exactly zero controversy and that's what led the host Chris Harrison to sort of defend Kirk Connell in an interview with a former bachelorette named Rachel Lindsay who is black in her uh, defense Harrison um only made the point that we should have some grace and forgiveness for this woman and not try to ruin her life over some frat party she attended years ago. He went out of his way to stipulate that he was not defending her choice to go to the party. So it was the weakest, most circumspect, least aggressive defense a person could possibly offer of anything, and it was enough to get him canceled. Next thing you know, he's being labeled a racist, he's getting thrown under the bus by the cast of the show, the media, the interviewer, his own girlfriend, then he has to step down from the show, all while, he, all while he apologizes profusely, groveling, sobbing, begging, all to no avail. That brings us to this morning, when Harrison appeared on Good Morning America to continue his apology tour and to ramp up the groveling by a few more notches. Here's the a, here's a report from page six. I'm an imperfect man. I made a mistake and I own that, he told co-anchor Michael Strahan on Good Morning America. I believe that a mistake doesn't reflect who I am or what I stand for. I am committed to the progress, not just for myself, but for the franchise. Antebellum parties are not okay, he said. Past, present, future, knowing what that represents is unacceptable. He also again apologized to 35-year-old Lindsey, as well as the black community, for his words. Harrison made it clear that he is not a victim and said he's committed to making changes for himself and the ABC franchise going forward. I made a mistake and I own that, he said. Racism, oppression, these are big, dynamic problems, and and they take serious work. I am committed to that work. Harrison also said he's been working with race educator Dr. Eric Dyson, who's taught him the idea of counsel, not cancel. As a result, Harrison said he's taken full accountability for his actions and is learning from the black community by listening. Okay, a race educator. I imagine that a session with a race educator means locking yourself in a stockade and yelling, I hate my whiteness, while tomatoes and rotten eggs are thrown at your face. Or maybe that's what they do at the graduation party after you complete the course. I don't know. In any case, Harrison is is continuing and and going to increasingly desperate lengths to performatively debase himself in hopes that he'll be forgiven. Never mind the fact that he never did anything wrong in the first place. He has nothing to apologize for, except for the fact that he was ever hosted The Bachelor to begin with. And now for the fact that he's apologizing in the first place. So come to think of it, the only thing in his life that he shouldn't be apologizing for is the one thing that he is apologizing for. The one good and worthwhile thing he ever did, apprehensively standing up to cancel culture, is now the thing that he expresses deep regret over. And it doesn't matter. It won't work. He will never be accepted back into polite society. Never. Never. Now, I haven't read the punchline of this whole thing. The final sentence in the Page Six article is great. It says, following the interview, Strahan described his conversation with Harrison as a, quote, surface response. So there it is. Michael Strahan, by the way, a a Hall of Fame defensive end for the New York Giants um, and a, a guy who almost certainly has said many things in the locker room and while lined up at the line of scrimmage that a guy like Chris Harrison would never dream of saying. But now Michael Strahan is so offended by Chris Harrison calling for forgiveness for someone else that two weeks of tearful apologies doesn't cut it. It's a surface response. What more does Strahan want? What else can Harrison do? Kill himself? I don't say that as a joke. I don't joke about suicide. I really mean it. The cancel mob mob won't be satisfied until people start killing themselves over it. And they will, by the way if they haven't already. And this is all the more reason why people with means, people in the public eye, people with wealth, Harrison is worth $25 million. They need to stand up to this madness. Because when you grovel, when you whimper, when you fall to your knees, you are emboldening the mob, empowering it, encouraging it, and making it worse for the next guy who is canceled and who may not have the ability that you have to fight back and withstand it. Chris Harrison is 50 years old and worth $25 million. If he invests that money well, you know, he's got more than enough to live comfortably. He could tell the cancel mob to kiss his ass and ride off into the sunset, maybe write a best-selling book down the line about his experiences, make a few more million. We'd even probably hire him. We'd hire him here at the Daily Wire, probably. We could do our own version of The Bachelor with him. Who knows? The point is, Harrison has options. He doesn't have to do what he's doing, and it's not working anyway, and it will never work. But he keeps trying. Having forfeited his dignity, there's nowhere else to go but down, I guess. And he will keep plunging the depths of his own disgrace. And that's why he's canceled. Again. Just keep keeps coming. More and more cancellations. Until he grows a spine. And stands up and says, you know what? I take back all of my apologies. I don't apologize for any of this. You people are crazy get out of my face. If he does that, I will rescind my cancellation. I mean, the other cancellations won't be rescinded, but at least that will. And he'll have his dignity back. And that's worth something. May not be worth uh, a salary hosting The Bachelor, but it's worth something. But for now, he's canceled. And that'll leave it there for, for us today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Production manager, Pavel Vadosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Andrew Cuomo addresses sexual misconduct allegations. Biden promises another year of COVID craziness. And Dr. Fauci admits that Florida got some things right. Check it out on the Michael Knowles Show.